Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, Emmanuel Faith. It is great to be together in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Man, uh, I'm just really grateful for a number of our staff and then a ton of volunteers who work to make our campus look Christmassy and awesome. Can we just give them a hand? So grateful, so grateful. Don't miss the selfie booth that's out in the courtyard. Get a family pick before the season is over. Okay, so today we're jumping back into our series that we're calling Behold, Behold the Lamb of God, where this Advent we are diving back into a season of waiting, which is what Advent is all about, of anticipating and of hoping. It's a time, Advent is a time in the church calendar where we plant our feet firmly in between two affirmations. One, that Christ has come. And then we remind ourselves that we are people who believe that Christ will what? come again, that he will come again. And today we're going to look at how to live more faithfully in that liminal in-between space. It was early September of 1968 when Paul McCartney started to get the sense that the wheels were falling off of this experiment that they called the Beatles. They were sort of a big deal at that point in time. They'd stopped touring in 1966, much to the chagrin of their fans. People were going crazy all over the globe to see them play. And after a season of touring, they were just absolutely exhausted. And as they stopped playing live shows, stopped touring, uh, the conflict, personality conflicts and creative conflicts in the band started to grow. And Paul McCartney sort of knew that the season of their life together as the Beatles was coming to a close. Well, it was in 1970 that they got together and they started to record what would be their last album. And on that album, they released the song, Let It Be. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, McCartney wrote this song as a message to his fans. The fans of the Beatles that were lamenting the fact that the Beatles were going to be no more. His message to a wanting and longing world for more Beatles was... Let it be. Let it be. We're we're not going to be around anymore touring as a band. Let it be. In fact, in that song, he wrote, When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Right, you nailed it. Good. And in my hour of darkness, he said, she's standing right in front of me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Now, I would love to grab Paul and say, somebody better than Mother Mary is coming for you. But you understand the point. Let it be was McCartney's way of telling the world there's a death that's coming. And he suggested that there's great wisdom in release, in letting go, in not fighting against it. See, let it be means that we are not in control, that we're not calling the shots, that we are not in charge of where this thing is heading, which is why saying those words is so difficult for us, isn't it? 
when my family and I lived in Colorado, we had the chance often to go whitewater rafting. And before you go whitewater rafting, they have you sign a waiver. Um, and then they give you a talk about why they had you sign that waiver. They're like, hey, um, if the raft happens to tip over and you fall out and you're like, time out, that's a possibility, right? Like, this isn't a Disneyland ride. So it, or if you get bounced out of the ride here or out of the raft, here's what you do. Don't fight it. Just get on your back, sort of try to tread water like a, like a turtle on the back of its shell. Don't try to stand up. Wait till the rapid is done with you. And then do your best to get over to the calm and climb to the side. And if we can, we'll come get you. Time out, right? Like after everyone, people whisper like, is that going to happen to us? You know, um, but here's, here's what essentially they're saying. Don't stand up. Don't try to fight the river. Let it be. Let it be. I think those are great words of recommendation, not just for rafting, but for living. But we all know that tension in uttering that phrase, don't we? There's disappointment embedded in that phrase, let it be. There's heartbreak beneath those words, let it be. There's dashed dreams, unmet hopes, expectations that will be far from being fulfilled when we say, let it be. Some of you have had to utter those words, maybe even through gritted teeth. When somebody said, the marriage is over. Uh, when you got a, a diagnosis, I've, I've met with a number of people, even in the last few weeks, who have received really, really challenging diagnoses from doctors. What do you do? Do you fight it? Do you fight against it? Or do you say, all right, Lord, this is the lot that you've given me for whatever reason. When the job that you thought was going to come through after graduation just doesn't come through. Maybe when that, the depression or anxiety just seems to sit heavy and it won't release. Or maybe that child that you raised in the church has walked away from the Lord. What do you, what do, you, what do, you do? This week, I had to remember how painful that phrase, let it be, is. It marked the eight-year anniversary of having to say goodbye to my mom. There is pain in those words, let it be, isn't there? Now remember, we're, we're in this season of Advent. We're in this season where we are trying to figure out what it intentionally looks like to discipline our soul to live faithfully in the in-between, to, to embrace a posture of waiting. And I think, let it be, is a great phrase to have in mind as we journey through this season. In fact, did you know that let it be is actually a Christmas song? Did you know that Paul isn't the first one to write, let it be? It's actually a phrase that Mary uttered to the angel, Gabriel, as he made an announcement to her. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is sort of a small city off the beaten path a little bit. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of David forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 34. And, the, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Which is a great question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, there's that word again. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month with uh, her who is, called, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38. And Mary said, behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Oh, just, would you just read these next three words with me? I mean, no faith. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Behold. Remember, that word behold is a word that causes us to pause. It causes us to stand at attention. It's a way, the scripture's way of saying, don't miss this. In fact, push your face up against the glass so you can see it all the more clearly. Behold, Mary says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be. Now Mary's response, let it be, wasn't necessarily a response to good news as we would typically think of it. It might have been uttered through gritted teeth and a broken heart. In fact, this angel's first statement to Mary is almost a little bit comical when you understand what's going on. He said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Favored one in the Greek means quite literally one who is drenched in grace. One who's dripping in grace. One who God has looked upon with goodness. And I think Mary might have raised her hand and if the angel was taking questions, she might have said, how am I favored? Like, we read the story sort of knowing where it all goes, but Mary didn't. When Mary first heard this announcement, she probably felt like the first, furthest thing from favored. I mean, in fact, that might have felt a little bit like a, a cosmic joke with a biting sense of irony attached to it. Mary's a trembling teenage girl whose dream of marrying her betrothed, her fiancé, Joseph, is vanishing before her eyes. Mary's somebody who lives in a society where if you get pregnant before you are married, you could very possibly be stoned. And if those things didn't happen, certainly Joseph would have divorced her if quietly, right? And just sort of ushered her out and her life as she she knows it is unraveling with every word the angel speaks and he says hey one dripping in grace God is with you what if God's favor sometimes feels like frustration sometimes feels like the death of a dream sometimes feels like a dead end. See, this is really a tale of, of two stories, right? You have, on one hand, you have Mary, and she hears this announcement and it stirs all sorts of fear. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But the angel says, no, 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 you're favored. Mary, this is disruption to her life. 
the angel, this is a fulfillment of God's promise. For Mary, there's a lot of confusion that goes along with this. How might this be? With the angel, there's this confidence God's going to come through. For Mary, there's this posture of surrender, but the angel comes on behalf of the one who is sovereign. We read this story knowing how it all turned out, but you have to rewind and you have to feel everything that Mary felt in order to really enter in because Mary didn't know that she wasn't going to get stoned by her parents. Mary didn't know that Joseph was going to also be visited by an angel and was going to marry her. Mary didn't know any of that. All Mary knew was that her life was being disrupted big time by an angel. Unexpected and in so many ways unwanted. And when Mary says, let it be, she is also saying there's a number of things I dreamed for and hoped for and prayed for and longed for that will never be will never be. And that's why saying let it be is often so challenging because saying let it be also means admitting it will never be. It will never be. Let it be or that posture of surrender is coming to terms with the fact that some of our plans for our life, some of our dreams for our life are just absolutely dashed. I mean, when Mary says let it be, she is releasing the ability to control what people think of her. There's going to be some sideways glances. There's the girl that said she got pregnant by God. Anybody believe that? Right? I mean, think of what she is going to carry physically on her body. She is giving up control. And I've said this before, but I'm usually not aware of how much I love control until I lose it. Who's with me? Yeah, I'm not aware of how much I love control until I lose it. And most of us, we operate with a low-grade version of control. We control our environment around us. We use different tools based on the resources that we have. Some of us use money in order to control. Some of us use power in order to control. Some of us are great with words, and so we use words in order to manipulate others and control people in order to get them to do what we want them to do. Some people use sexuality in order to control, but most of us are trying to control our environment on one level or another. That's why let it be is such a threat to us. And you know, as as people who who are at least quasi-religious, and if you're here this morning, my guess is there's at least some interest in in spirituality and religion, Religious people often use God as a way to control also. We have thoughts in our mind like, God, if I, certainly if I give, an, if, if I give enough, you'll, you'll bless me financially. Or God, if I, if I do things um, in your way, certainly my life will be free from pain. Or God, if I'm pure sexually, certainly I'm going to have a marriage that's going to be unbelievable and amazing someday. And really what we're doing is we're saying back to God, God, I'm going to play along with a game in order to get you to do exactly what I want you to do. And really, I'm calling the shots and I'm using obedience as a way to control you. It's the reason that Sky Jathani wrote and said, fear and control are the basis for all human religions. And I get it. Man, when we get on our back and the rapids are raging and we're just having to sort of tread water and ride it out, that's a scary place to be, isn't it? Get that diagnosis from a doctor, that conversation with a friend, that broken heart, the hurt, the pain. Gosh, that is a hard place to be. And we want to avoid it at any 
cost. But here's the truth of the matter, friends. You can either control or you can surrender, but you can't do both. You can't do both. So my question for you this morning is, what is the posture of your heart? We grasp and we cling to control because we feel like without it, our lives are going to just spin into disrepair. But what if, what if there's more freedom in surrender than there is in control? What if there's more strength in saying, let it be, than there is in holding on and saying, I'm going to make it happen? What if there's more joy waiting to people who say, I'm willing to surrender, than to those who say, I'm going to maintain control? See, let it be is really just simply the path of discipleship that Jesus is inviting every single one of us to walk. And here's what Mary shows us this morning. Mary shows us that while let it be is initially filled with fear and trepidation and pain and confusion, it ends with a posture of strength, able to face the realities of the world as they actually are with vitality and fortitude. Because when we stop fighting against the flow of the river as it were. We can actually trust the God who is in control of it all. And that's why a posture of surrender allows us to experience God's sufficiency. But it's only that posture. You can't experience, you cannot experience God's sufficiency if you are still trying to control. But see, when you come to this place of saying, I don't have to be enough. I don't have to hold it all together. I can let it be. When you come to that place, you get to experience the reality that Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. And that, friends, is the paradox of surrender. We actually find more strength when we stop trying to control and we trust the God who is in control. But I'd suggest to you that as we read through Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, Mary doesn't get there immediately. Let, let it be is at the very end of this interaction with the angel. And I think Mary actually subtly lays down this path for you and I to walk towards a posture of surrender where we too can say, let it be. So let's dive in and look at what Mary does in between the initial announcement from the angel and a posture of surrender that she eventually embraces. Look at the way that their interaction started. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at the saying, well, yeah, I mean, an angel's talking to her. Like we often read this with a subtle sense of superiority going, well, come on, Mary, get it together. Listen, friends, if an angel is talking to you, my guess is you're going to be just a little bit troubled also, right? And she says at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That word troubled quite literally in the Greek means that she's agitated greatly. I love that because we always think of Mary as so calm and peaceful. But when the angel first came to her, she's agitated. What'd you say? What's going to happen to me? Favored one? You joking here? I don't know. That's just me reading into it a little bit. But 
But look at the way the angel follows up with her and it says to, she, the angel says to her, do not be, what, say it with me, church, afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. So Mary was, was fearful. She heard this announcement and maybe she just started to think through all the things in her life that were going to be different because of the announcement. Or maybe she's just thinking, my goodness, an angel is speaking to me. But what does Mary do? She expresses her fear. What if the first step, what if the first step in surrender is you naming your fear also? See, Mary teaches us at least two things in the way that she initially responds. One is that surrender does not mean stoicism. (laughs) Surrender to God does not mean that we are devoid and detached from all emotions and we just go, well, oh well. No, Mary has an emotional response to this angel's announcement. But, But surrender also doesn't mean fatalism. I've heard so many followers of Jesus say this phrase, and it just sort of makes me go, oh, gosh. Here's the phrase. Here's the phrase. Well, everything happens for a reason. Do you know where you can't find that phrase? In the Bible. It's nowhere in there. No, Mary's like invested, Mary's involved, Mary's emotional, Mary's scared. And that, all of that is either on her face or in her voice. Maybe we don't know what the full conversation was, but the angel says to her, do not be afraid. I love that Mary pours out her honest heart before God and before this angel. And do you know what? You can pour out your honest heart before God too. When that diagnosis comes, when that conversation happens, when the things in your life don't go according to your hopes, to your dreams, to your plans, you can also say, I don't know what this means for the rest of my life. And God can handle that. God can handle that. The conversation goes on. And it says next that Mary tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That word discern is an accounting term. It means to sort of weigh out the different options. It means to very rationally look through the facts and to take notice. I love that Mary isn't operating just on like blind faith, right? She's really looking into this. She's digging in. She's going, okay, um, did, did I just eat bad pita last night? Was that hummus like a little bit off? Or no, okay, there really is an angel speaking to me. And, and I just imagine Mary like going through all the different scenarios in her mind, pondering with rationality what is going on in her life to the point where she asks back, how will this be since I am a virgin? Yeah, so Mary's a, a teenager. Her parents obviously have had the talk about the birds and the bees with her. She's going, I know how this happens. I know I haven't done that yet. (laughs) So here's my question. How? How in the world is that going to be a reality? As we look at this passage of scripture, I love that Mary's faith develops in stages. As opposed to the way that we often view faith where it's this one-time momentary decision. No, no, Mary's showing us that coming to faith is often a process rather than being instantaneous. And biblically speaking, faith is far more about a moment-by-moment surrender and trust in God than it is about a one-time prayer. 
And what Mary shows us is the way that we get to that place of faith isn't by avoiding our doubts, but it's actually by engaging our doubts, by pushing into them, by asking the hard questions. Now, she doesn't just doubt for doubt's sake. We live in a, a cultural moment where doubt is sort of in vogue, sort of popular. I think to a large degree, especially in academic circles, people are viewed as being more intellectual if they doubt than if they believe or if they have faith. And I'm not suggesting that that you have to doubt. If you don't have doubts, if you just have faith, praise be to God. But if you do have questions, and I think maybe that's a better way to talk about what Mary does. She has major questions about what's going on in her life. And the angel invites her to ask them. It's interesting that if you read through Luke chapter 1, you'll see that Mary is praised for her questions, while Zechariah, just a few verses earlier, seems to be cast aside because of his. I mean, if you read them side by side, you sort of go like, man, Zechariah got a sort of a raw deal. Like an angel came to him also, he's burning incense in the temple. And the angel tells him, hey, Zechariah, even though you're old and your wife is really old, which I'm sure the angel got in trouble for that, but... um, she says, all right, um, she's going to become pregnant, and you guys are going to have a baby. And Zechariah responds and says, how shall I know this? Which sounds an awful lot like Mary's question. How will this be? But I do think that there's a subtle difference. I think Zechariah is saying, prove it. And the angel goes, okay. How about you're not able to speak until your baby's born? And he goes, I I do think that there's a skepticism that's embedded in Zachariah's question. Mary seems a little bit more just genuine. How in the world is this going to be? I love the way that Tim Keller, the great pastor and author, unpacked the difference between these two conversations with angels. He says this, there's this kind of doubt that's a sign of a closed mind. And there's a kind of doubt that's a sign of an open mind. I think that's true, isn't it? You've seen people that doubt just for doubt's sake, and they have no intention of actually chasing after truth. They they just want to keep doubting. And he says, some doubt seeks answers, and some doubt is a defense against the possibility of answers. See, Mary is open to the truth, even if it means letting go of the control of her life. She's willing to accept reality from this angel, whatever it may be and wherever it might lead. And I love the fact that this person who in so many ways stands at the center point of the Christmas story begins her journey with saying, how? Because that might be the exact place that you find yourself today. You might be in this room today and somebody drug you or you've been coming for a little while and you just haven't really been honest with this question that's just sort of in your soul. You're going, how in the world can any of this be? How could this be true? And here's what I would say back to you. One of the things we see in Mary's journey is that trust builds as we experience that God is trustworthy. And our hope in prayer as a church body, if you're new, like, I just want to share this with you about Emmanuel Faith. Our hope in our prayer is that this would be a safe family of faith for you to wrestle, for you to struggle, 
and even for you to doubt. If that's you, you are welcomed here. If you're wondering why followers of Jesus treated you so poorly and it's just absolutely a burden and a pain that you bear, you are welcomed here. And we want you to know and hope that you experience something different amongst us. If you're sad, if you're frustrated, if you're angry, even with God, you are welcome here. If you're wondering why God allowed some of the things into your life that he did, I want you to know you are welcome here. After our nine o'clock service last week, there's a young woman who was here in a part of our church body, and she came up to me with an entire iPhone list of questions from my sermon. And I love that, you guys. I love that. Because I want us to be a place where it's safe to struggle, safe to doubt, safe to question, so that people can be led. In the same way Mary was, to the feet of God in surrender. Let's be a place where we have much grace for people that are at different places in the stages of faith than we are. Amen? Let's be a place where people can find grace and hope and where we rely on God to do the heavy lifting rather than trying to control things on our own. Amen? And let's be faithful to tell our story of God's faithfulness because it just may be the thing that stirs faith and surrender in the people that you're interacting with. And after naming her fear and processing her questions, listen to what Mary says. She says, for nothing will be impossible with God. What a great verse. She's echoing what the psalmist would say in Psalm 115, verse 3, that God is in the heavens and he does all that pleases him. He does anything he wants to do. And that perspective of God that perspective of, of, of heaven and who God is and his character and his ability is the very thing that leads Mary to a posture of surrender. What does she do? She acknowledges God's sovereignty. If you say that I'm pregnant as a virgin, you can do whatever you want. And please hear me on this church. We are surrendering, not to some nameless, quote-unquote, universe, not to an unnamed force, and not to fate. We are surrendering to a triune, personal, holy God who is sovereign over all creation. That's who we say, let it be to. But this reality that God is sovereign cuts both ways, doesn't it? It means that you can pray to a God who is able to act and change your circumstances by the divine power that he holds in his hands. And you have to trust that whatever comes into your life passes through those same powerful hands. The hurts that seem to haunt you, the disappointments that you just can't seem to shake, the pain that seems overwhelming at times, those things also passed through his sovereign hand. And here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we stop asking God. But it also means that we don't stop trusting God when he says, Our response is, let it be. See, faith is engaging the tension between asking and trusting. 
And if we ever resolve that tension, we have missed that liminal space in between these two worlds that we are called to live with trust in Jesus. So finally, notice what Mary utters before she says this phrase, let it be. She says, behold, I am the, will you just read these few words with me, Emmanuel Faith? I am the servant of the Lord. I love that before Mary says, let it be, she reminds herself who she is. She reminds herself whose story this ultimately is and what, who it's all about. When Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant, what she's saying is, God, you don't owe me anything. And God, you are in charge. And if this is the story that you want to tell through my life, I don't get to make that decision. I don't get to make that call. Ultimately, you do. And here's what Mary does. She accepts her role in God's story where it's all about his glory, where it's all about his name, where it's all about his fame, and it is not about her. That word servant she uses is the word doula in Greek, and it literally means a female servant or a female slave. And by saying that, Mary is saying, my life is not my own. And anybody that comes to God in honesty and says, let it be, has to first come to this place of surrender in saying, God, the story's not about me. The glory's not for me. God, this is all about you. And the purpose of my life is to bring you the glory that you so rightly deserve. I love the way that John Tyson, the great pastor and author put it, where he said, surrender is that beautiful posture of the heart in which we humbly climb off the throne of our own lives and invite the one who it rightfully belongs there to take our place. Isn't that good? God, surrender is me climbing off the throne of my heart. I don't make the decisions. I don't make the calls. God, you do. And I'm re-enthroning you as king of my heart. It's the very thing. It's the very thing that Jesus challenged his disciples to do when he said to them, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You try to control things, gosh, you're going to lose your life. Because trying to control is way too big of a burden for any of us to bear. It's exhausting. Does anybody want to say amen? And then he follows it up and says, but, but. By way of contrast, whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders fully to me, whoever's willing to say, let it be for my sake will save it. You're going to find what it means to really truly live when you surrender to the God who has loved and given for you. That's why there's sufficiency that we find when we surrender. And I don't know if you sort of have this ringing in your head, but I did as I studied. This idea, let it be, that Mary says when Jesus is just about to be in utero (laughs) is almost the same phrase that Jesus utters in the garden as he's praying to his father. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. There's the ask. There's the ask. God, if it's possible. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There's the surrender. There's the trust. There's the 
let it be. If you're here this morning and you're going, okay, Ryan, why in the world can I surrender all that I am and all that I have to God? Here's the way I would, I would answer that question. See, it was this surrender from Jesus that led directly to the cross. And I would argue as we look back on the cross, it's that cross that's our great reminder that we are free to surrender to a God who sees us and who loves us, that we can surrender all to Jesus because he has given his all for us. That's why it's safe to surrender. The hands that we surrender our lives into still bear the scars of the price that was paid for our freedom. Mary points out that we don't need to control God ultimately because we are loved by him. And in so being loved, we can let go and find great joy in being held by the God who gave himself for us. So this week, let me give you two challenges. Number one, would you be willing this week to embrace the unexpected? My guess is you're gonna have a little bit of that this week. (laughs) Some things you didn't expect, some things you didn't hope for, some things you didn't plan. What would it look like for you to meet those unexpected events, invitations, conversations with surrender rather than control? And then what would it look like for you to accept the unwanted? I'm reminded of the famous serenity prayer. God, grant to me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. What would it look like for you to embrace the unexpected And to accept the unwanted. One of my favorite paintings of this moment that we're reading about in Luke chapter 1 was done by a man named Henry Osawa Tanner. I believe it was in the 19th century, but he has this picture of, of Mary. And she's this teenage peasant girl in this very sort of poor looking room. But what I want you to really hone in on as you look or behold this picture is is Mary's face. I think Tanner really poignantly captured this scene that's one filled with fear and anxiety and surrender. I just want you to take a moment to just prayerfully ask God, God, is there anything that I'm just holding on to so I can control that you're inviting me to surrender to you? Might be some pain that you've grown comfortable with, some frustration that just has become a friend. It might be an event that you just wish with everything in your bones you could go back and undo. 
or it might be the desire to make sure everybody in your circle in your house is healthy and you fill in the blank. I don't know what it is for you, but would you just spend a moment in asking the Spirit of God? Is there un- anything that I'm unwilling to, any un- un- anything unexpected I'm w- unwilling to embrace and anything that's been unwanted that I just won't accept? Jesus, we, we long to, for our lives to be filled with your sufficiency and your strength and your power. And we know that that happens when we stop trying to, to control where we surrender, where we get on our, our backs as it were and ride down the rapids, not trying to fight the river or stand up in it, but just allowing you to do your work in trust. God, would you help us to be people who name our fears, who engage our doubts, who are reminded of your sovereignty, and then who remember our role in this story that you're telling. We long to find strength and surrender. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.